Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create sustainable business and strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Welcome to Cynthia Cherry, who is the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association. We are broadcasting live from Brussels at the annual leadership conference. Thank you, Maureen, for being here with us here in Brussels. I'm so excited about the series of keynote speakers that we are able to present and that will give a timeless message around our topic and theme of leadership in turbulent times. And I'm very pleased with our conference chair, Jord Volkers from Deloitte University, the dean of Deloitte University, and his team who helped us along with the ILA staff to present this global conference in Brussels, Belgium in 2017. at the International Leadership Association Conference, and I'm interviewing Barry Johnson. So let me give you a little bit of his background. In 1975, Dr. Barry Johnson created the first polarity map and set of principles. Since then, he's been learning with clients from around the world how to leverage these polarities, also known as paradoxes, dilemmas, or tensions. The mission is to enhance our quality of life on the planet by supplementing, quote, or thinking with, quote, and thinking. And we'll talk more about what and and or thinking are during the conversation. The research is clear. Leaders and organizations that leverage polarities outperform those who don't. Barry has shared polarities with tens of thousands of individuals, senior leaders, and executive teams. In 1992, he wrote the Polarity Management book, Identifying and Mapping Unsolved Problems by HDR Press, and his new book is coming out this year, and it's called And How to Leverage Polarities, Paradox, and Dilemmas. So, Barry, welcome. Thank you very much, Maureen. I appreciate having the opportunity to talk. So let's jump into this and talk about what do you mean by polarities in this and or thinking? Well, many times when we experience a difficulty, any kind of tension or problem, we automatically assume, uh, let's solve it. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. We do that in grade school all the way through graduate school. We get difficulties and our task is to solve them efficiently and effectively. What this often overlooks is a whole series of issues that are called in the literature paradox, dilemmas, or polarities, in which you have an interdependent pair, I think is the best descriptor, like shall we, shall we centralize, or a better way to say this is how do we centralize in order to get the benefits of system-wide coordination and system integration, and decentralize in order to allow us to be more responsive uh, to, uh, to the local situation and the customer's needs and to take initiative. So the question is, how do we do both of these things? So we need to centralize and decentralize, and that becomes uh, what we need to do. For leaders, we need to be both clear and flexible. If we're clear without being flexible, we're seen as rigid. If we're flexible without being clear, we're seen as ambiguous. So the question for a leader is, how can I be both clear and flexible, and that's what we help people do, is distinguish between those issues that are problems to solve and those issues that are these ongoing tensions we call polarities. 
and I'm thinking of a ton of different examples like individual freedom and national security. Yeah, exactly. It's a great one. And we're facing these as organizations. The other one that comes to mind when I do strategic planning is why am I going to do a plan if I'm not going to stick to it? So that idea that I have a plan and yet I have agility. Yeah, and the, and the, and the plan sort of fits with that being clear and being flexible. Um, so we need, we need to be both planning full on the one hand and emergent on the other hand. How do you leverage that natural tension between being planning full and predictive and getting things in place and be emergent and able to respond to uh, things that happened that weren't a part of the plan that, um, that you just need to be able to respond on the fly? And there's obviously a natural tension between being planned and being emergent. And those organizations that can do and can combine those effectively are just much better off than those who think it's all about emergence or think it's all about being good planners. And so this raises a, several questions, but the thing that comes most to mind is in this time of dramatic shift, this ability to understand and navigate the tensions and leverage them is paramount to organizations that are going to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. So the more rapid the change is in the environment or in the setting in which the system is, is functioning, is the nation state or the organization, the more rapidly things are changing, paradoxically, the more useful it is to have some core values, some core centralized coordination efforts to hold on to to support you as you move through the issue. As a matter of fact, one example of this would be often we, we talk about um, running whitewater as what happens when organizations get in a culture that has a lot of dynamic change. They say it's like being out in whitewater. And the way they describe that is as if whitewater is dangerous, which at one level it is, and that it's, it's sort of like it's, it's overwhelming because you've got, you know, you've got rocks everywhere in the river, you don't know what's going on. But for somebody who, who has experience in whitewater kayaking, they actually understand what the energy systems are that are at play on the whitewater. They understand that actually you can just, if you see a big rock up ahead, what you know is there's a back eddy behind that rock, and you can, with a kayak, you can slip into that back eddy and sit there with waves on either side that are just roaring on either side of you and just sit and have lunch. But you have to understand how the river works and how this energy system works. And so with turbulent times, analogous to whitewater, if you understand what a whitewater kayaker knows about a river, if you understand how, how these patterns or energy systems work within the organization and within the culture, then you're, you're just way ahead of somebody who's just, you know, doesn't know a thing and just finding themselves trying to survive going through whitewater. And I'm imagining every leader who's listening to this has a sense of those times when we stepped into something, didn't necessarily realize it was whitewater until we got bounced out of the kayak. Right. And, and, and our tendency is whenever we, as I mentioned, when we experience difficulties is to try to solve it. And what mm. we're suggesting is when you experience a tension, when you experience a chaotic moment or, or a lot of turbulence in the system, it's very helpful to just slow down a bit take and take a perspective in which you say, okay, within this, what might be some key polarities that need leveraging and what are some problems we need to solve? Because solving problems and leveraging polarities is itself a polarity. We need to be able to do both. You know, having been bounced out of a whitewater raft and kayaks on occasion, the only thing that went through my mind is how do I not die right now? Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> fortunately, and in both it's cases, it's good to understand how the river works if you're trying to make sure that you don't drown in that river. And one of them, I came back in incredibly bruised and unable to wear shoes for a while. So carrying out the metaphor, if we don't understand the energy of the system and we don't have someone working with us who does, it is dangerous. Yes, it can be it's dangerous for the for the people in the organization, in ter and it's dangerous for the organization in terms of its ability to thrive. Uh, you you uh, talked about the front end uh, title of this program about thriving organizations. 
Um, in order to thrive, organizations need to leverage polarities. Whether they've ever heard of the word polarity or paradox or dilemma, the research, as you mentioned, is clear. Those who have somehow, through their life experience, through their intuition, have learned to uh, to uh, do what I call parallel parallel thinking, to be able to, for example, Singapore International Airlines is a wonderful example. They decided early on that they were going to be the most cost-effective airline in the industry and also be the highest rated in terms of customer service. Now, that's an interesting assumption that you don't have to trade off and in order to, in order to reduce costs that you have to uh, trade off and, and sacrifice with customer service. They were making the assumption that you can do both, and they have done both. They're the lowest cost airline in the industry, and they've 21 years in a row been seen as the best airline to fly. So that combination is only available to the degree you assume you can do both, and then you build in processes in your organization in which you pursue them both uh, at the same time. And so that just sounds like a higher level of complexity and thinking is required. Yeah, at, at one level it is. However, what's interesting is when you understand polarities and how they work, it is a relatively simple system that we're working with. And what you're trying to do with each system, so if we go back to a leader who is needing to be both clear and flexible, they can look at what can I do to make sure I'm clear <laughs> And how can I pay attention to being flexible as well? And so over time, they can pay attention to both of those. What makes things complicated uh, often for people, for leaders, is that they see all the variables they're dealing with as if they were independent variables. And that's how you get overwhelmed. But when you, it's like seeing, uh, looking at white water, again, to use that metaphor, and seeing it as just a bunch of, of white water waves and a bunch of rocks, and it doesn't make any sense to you. But when you can see the pattern of the water flow, you can understand how to use that water flow and that energy in your favor. So, so it actually simplifies what can be seen as quite complicated by seeing underlying patterns in the midst of what look to be entirely independent variables. And so to bring in another buzzword from a different author is kind of the balcony view, the Ron Heifetz work. It sounds like seeing the system is stepping out of my framework, taking a step back or periscoping out or however you language that and mm-hmm. looking at not just my piece of the system, but the overall system, which could be the industry or, or the company within how we fit across nations even. Yeah. Exactly. And so uh, that, that getting that balcony view, it's also helpful to know what you're looking for uh, from the balcony. So, yeah. uh, so another metaphor that I often use is that, that problem solving, we need to teach problem solving. That's basic. We're mm-hmm. not about any suggestion that, that some sort of, that and thinking and leveraging polarities is somehow superior or better than basic problem solving and where you may need to make these either or choices. On the contrary, we're saying that actually both of them are necessary. And if we think of the of uh, problem solving as teaching our kids to swim, when we teach our kids to swim, what we're doing is we're solving the problem. What happens if they get into water over their head? Well, okay. they, they ideally they, they might have a life jacket, but if they're just swimming on the beach or something, uh, if they fall into a pool, for example, in the water over their head and they don't have a life jacket on, if they can know how to swim, they're just much safer around water. So we teach our kids to swim, and it's a good problem-solving strategy. You're in water over your head, well, just learn to swim. But learning to swim will not help you if you are caught in a riptide going out into the ocean. And what happens with that, with a riptide, is the water's breaking on the shore, and rather than going straight back, it's, it's going along parallel to the shore and approaching from two different sides, and then it's going out into the ocean, and it creates a river out into the ocean. And if you happen to get caught in one of those, of course you have to be able to swim or you'll drown. But even if you can swim, you're comfortable in water over your head. If you don't have an appreciation that you're caught in a riptide, you might try to swim directly to shore, which is trying like swimming upstream in a river, and you could drown even though you can swim. So it helps you from this balcony approach that you talked about is if you understand how a riptide works, 
you appreciate that it's a river going out into the ocean. It's all you have to do is swim to the shore, if you will, of the river that's in the ocean. So you swim parallel to the, to the actual shore. You get on the edge of this stream in the ocean that's going out to sea. Once you get there, you can now swim back in. So it wouldn't be advisable to tell somebody who's caught in a riptide to just swim faster or swim harder or swim better. What you need to do is say, no, you can swim. You just have no need to know where to swim because you need to understand from the balcony this energy system that you're in. So it could be a death trap to a swimmer if they're caught in this riptide, if they don't understand the riptide, but it becomes a plaything when you do understand it. So this is how surfers function with waves. They find that rip current that runs out through the waves because it actually the rip current can sort of cut through the waves so you can ride your surfboard out on the rip current and then, and then go over to the edge of that rip current and ride the waves back in. So what is a death trap for some is a plaything for others. And, and the kind of tensions that organizations experience when they fight over should we decentralize or centralize, they're fighting over a polarity that they need to leverage and uh, fighting over it is not going to serve the company at all well. But when they see that we can do both, we can centralize in these ways and we can decentralize in these ways, that helps them, in fact, compete with, outperform any organization that assumes you have to do one or the other. So understanding these energy cycles could be my business cycles, as an example. Yes. As a matter of fact, a good example of this is... Um, the research by Mary Ulveen on complex adaptive systems in, in uh, the book that, that uh, she wrote with Michael, I'm forgetting his last name right now, but in the book that they wrote, in the summary chapter, they talk about how all organizations in their beginning start off on an entrepreneurial kind of initiative. They're creating something new. It's very exciting, and they get that. And so from a polarity perspective, they're getting the benefits or the upsides of entrepreneurship. However, over time, the entrepreneurial orientation finds itself wanting for some kind of coordination and integration of all this creative energy. And so they move, they experience the limits of entrepreneurship alone, so they move towards the upside of the other pole, which would be kind of administrative leadership. And let's, let's get all this energy coordinated and, and uh, reduce redundancies and, uh, you know, take advantage of what we have created here. And so you get into this administrative leadership. However, if you focus on administrative leadership over time, you experience the limits of this administrative focus in that it doesn't have good entrepreneurial energy. So you find yourself wanting to go to move back to the entrepreneurial pole. And the problem that they discovered is that when you move to the administrative pole, what happens is the chief, the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, and the chief operating officer of that company often are brought in with because of their administrative strength. So the, the company gets over-empowered at the top with people who are administrative in strength. And as you, as you go to try to move towards re-establishing that entrepreneurial spirit that started you in the first place, the resistance shows up from the administrative folks because their fear is they're thinking either we're going to be administrative or we're going to be entrepreneurial. And so they use their power to stop the company from actually moving towards and re-embracing that entrepreneurial pool. Okay, so at this point, that now let's go on break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the infinity sign and moving from poles, positive and negative, and then I want to go into some examples of the work you have done and how this has played out to really produce positive results for clients. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. 
We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Skilled migrants throughout the world can face a variety of challenges. Many times they settle for jobs that are below their skill level because their education and qualifications are not recognized. Do we need local experience in a global world? Join host Alma Besserton for The Global Workplace. We'll explore the issues being faced by migrants as well as showcase diversity and recognize the leadership and inclusion roles of some of today's top global organizations. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, so Barry, before break, you were talking about the polarity map and many people haven't seen it. So can you explain the quadrants and the movement top and bottom and how that might look for someone who's not well-versed in your work? Yeah, so you can imagine uh, two poles, two circles, if you will, on a piece of paper. And then if you draw an infinity loop around the two poles, so it crosses between them, and it goes around them. So the infinity loop represents this energy system that flows, goes from the downside of one pole to the upside of the other, and then wraps around it, and you get that downside, and then you get the upside of the other. So a simple metaphor would be inhaling and exhaling. As you inhale, the energy goes to the upside of the inhale pole, and you get oxygen. But over time, if you keep inhaling long enough, you experience the downside of inhaling, which causes you to move to exhale. So you go to the upside of exhaling, which is helpful, but then you get to the downside of inhaling alone, and you experience the limits of that, and you need to then exhale again. So that oscillation goes back and forth, somewhat like inhaling and exhaling. So it's a natural system, and to be healthy, we need to integrate both poles by our movement between them. Yes. So that's the leveraging of tension you talk about. Right. You want to maximize both upsides and minimize the downside, yeah. Okay, so you were giving an example during break of the poles being entrepreneurialism and the more structured bureaucratic isn't necessarily the right term, but but what happens when businesses grow and, and need more structure. So can you give the example of how one balances and leverages both ends of those poles to keep the business both running efficiently but also feeding the entrepreneurial energy into a more structured business. Yeah, so what, what we would do is we would put entrepreneurial and administrative at the two poles, and then we would work with the client for their particular, and they would identify what are all the benefits of 
of uh, the entrepreneurial pole of being entrepreneurial. What are all the benefits of being administrative, you know? Um, and then you'd look at what happens if you over-focus on entrepreneurial. What are those downsides, if you will? And what happens if you over-focus on administrative to the neglect of entrepreneurial? And once you create a polarity map, then you can go right in with the client to say, okay, what are, what are we doing or could we be doing as action steps to get the best of the uh, administrative pole? And what could we do, are we doing or could we be doing to get the best of the entrepreneurial pole? Then the other steps we look at are how would you know early that you're getting into the downside of one pole or the other? We call these the early warnings. So that allows you to systematically address as a group to address how can we get the best of both of these and minimize the downside of each. So it, intuitively it makes sense that I would create this map and identify for my own company, where are we being entrepreneurial, but if I do too much of that, I go off the rails. Where am I being too structured? I hired a COO to help keep me from being too entrepreneurial, but if he and I are not balancing, then we could become too structured. And so now I would, if I were doing this for my own company, start to look at the early warning signs for either one of us exerting our energy too strongly without keeping it balanced. Yes, and it's a dynamic balance, uh, but that's a, that's a good description of, of, of what you would do. And the assumption is that you can do both. That's what helps you do it both. Uh, you both respect what each brings to the table. You're bringing some entrepreneurial energy, and he or she is bringing some you know, that administrative coordinated energy. And the question, there's a natural tension between them. So the question becomes, how do we leverage this tension in a way that creates a virtuous cycle between the two of us rather than a vicious cycle where we, in, in our fighting with each other, it undermines each of us and undermines our company. I like that example. So now let's move into, you've done this globally with several organizations. Can you give some examples? Sure. Uh, one is uh, uh, David Wenergren, who was, at the time that uh, I met him, he was the, the uh, chief information officer for the U.S. Navy. And um, I was working with, with senior naval officers at the Monterey Postgraduate School, Naval Postgraduate School. And he wasn't a part of a training, but I had dinner with him and some other officers, and we just spent the meal, because I was going to be presenting polarity thinking the next morning. And so they were asking me questions. You know, he didn't respond at all. He just watched me respond to their questions. And he said afterwards, he said, Barry, I'm sorry I can't come tomorrow, but I'd like to maybe give you a call. And I said, that'd be great. So about three months later, he calls me, and he'd just been promoted to be the deputy chief information officer for the whole Department of Defense. And he had discovered as he was, you know, moving through the Pentagon, trying to get his feet on the ground for his new job, he said, Barry, we've got two groups that are really at each other's throats, which is often the way polarities show up. One group, he said, is, are saying we have to have good information sharing because if we don't have good information sharing, we're going to have another 911, which was in part a, a problem because we had information that wasn't adequately shared. We can't serve and protect without good information sharing. He said there's another group that is says we have to have information security. If we, we can't serve and protect unless we have good information security, otherwise the enemy will get the information. He said, Barry, these two groups are trying to protect the nation from the other group. Is this one of those polarity things? <laughs> and I said, I think... <laughs> Is this one of those polarity things? That's a great question. <laughs> and so, and he said, well, well, would you and Barry Frew, the retired naval officer from, uh, from California, who had invited me in the first place, said, would the two of you come and help me and my executive team get a handle on this? Because it's not serving and protecting uh, our country by fighting over these two issues. So we went in and we did, as I described, we, we generated with them a map. We looked at action steps and early warnings. We assessed how well we, they were doing with it, which was not very well. And then they came up with action steps and early warnings to support them in going forward. And, and David used that map, shared that with uh, wherever he went to make his, uh, his presentations, talking about the Pentagon working, the Department of Defense working as an integrated system around uh, information uh, sharing and information security. So that's one example. Another one is the Charleston Police Department, where their key polarity was enforcement and engagement. It was built into their strategic plan. We need to enforce the law. That's seen as the police department's job. But we can't do good enforcement without quality engagement of the community. So how do we both enforce the law and engage the community? 
Another one was with the Republic of South Africa. I was there, and I was uh, consulting with the woman who was in charge of having English be the common language throughout all of South Africa. Now, there's 14 national languages, I think, 12 or 14 national languages in South Africa. So the push for having English as a common language got a lot of resistance until she switched and called and identified it as a polarity. We're not asking you to let go of your, what they called, mother tongue. So the polarity they wrote up was mother tongue and English. How do we both can maintain and support the use of mother tongue and have English as a common language, both as an integrating function within South Africa, but also as a connecting language for South Africa with the rest of the world? So I assume in listening to your language and listening to the case studies that in many cases when one points out that this is a polarity and that both are required. So the example you gave with national security and specifically security and sharing, when you point that out, are people able to understand that it's no longer us versus them, but that both play important roles in meeting the overall security objectives? Um, Often they are, yes. It helps if you have a couple of examples of things like activity and rest or inhaling and exhaling that are obvious interdependencies, but uh, often they will see the need for both, especially if you can engage them in creating the map, so that in the map you're seeing what are both of these upsides, and all of a sudden, both of them have a place to stand, which is, well, this is what I value, and the other thing, well, this is what I value. Actually, it's pretty clear we need to value both of these things. So it is possible relatively quickly to see an issue, to have an issue shift from something that's seen as an either-or issue and to recognize that this is one of those where both and orientation is going to be more useful. So this seems phenomenally useful in an organization that's in conflict with itself when, I think you said it, people are seeing each other as the enemy rather than seeing that these are just two sides of breathing in, breathing out that there are tensions. Well, we need to balance the tension and continue to recalibrate the importance of sharing versus security, that that's an ongoing leveraging balancing act that never goes away. Exactly. It never goes away because uh, four qualities of all polarities is, first of all, they're unavoidable. Secondly, they're unsolvable in that you can't choose one pole as an ultimate solution. The other thing is that they are indestructible. So the nice thing about them is you can tie a strategic plan to a few key polarities, and even if you don't do it so well, they're still there for you to work. The other (laughs) thing is that that energy is unstoppable. So it's the makings of a revolution if you try to sit on one pole for too long as an an organization. You just become vulnerable to a more violent self-correction, but it will self-correct. So that's where I need good early warning signs to realize when I'm slipping beyond. And so let's use the security versus information sharing versus information security. If we are not sharing, I'm assuming then there are there would be a terrorist or bad guy event, and we realize that one agency had the answers and didn't share it with the other. Um, yes, and hopefully you have warnings that are earlier than that. That would be a late warning, those consequences. But you're right in terms of, yes, what you would look for is, and you trust the people who are doing this. So I trusted the executive team that was in the room to think, okay, what would early warnings look like that we had over-focused on information security to the neglect of information sharing? And it's like, what would be those very early warnings that would let us know that we've been so tight on the security, we haven't neglected adequate sharing and we're in trouble? So understanding the maps seems like important work for leaders, maybe even in the strategic planning process. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that we, that we try to have people shift from when they, when they start talking about polarities, rather than use versus, we encourage people to use the word and because it stimulates in the mind the possibility that well, both of these could happen. When we use versus, it tends to shift people into the assumption of one or the other. So we, we encourage people to use and rather than or or versus. You not use either of those if you are talking about a polarity. 
Okay, so I think we're going to go on break right now, and I want to come back and talk about how does leveraging polarity support leaders and organizations in a time of complexity as, as we're situated at the International Leadership Association Conference, and Brexit seems to be a big conversation. Uh, last year, it was Germany bringing in people who were leaving their countries that we have the issue of Catalonia and Spain right now. So so it seems like these would be polarities also, and I would love to hear your feedback. Become on our friend on Facebook. Yeah. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Skilled migrants throughout the world can face a variety of challenges. Many times they settle for jobs that are below their skill level because their education and qualifications are not recognized. Do we need local experience in a global world? Join host Alma Besserton for The Global Workplace. We'll explore the issues being faced by migrants as well as showcase diversity and recognize the leadership and inclusion roles of some of today's top global organizations. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, so... Before we went on break, Barry was talking more about the polarity map, so the quadrant model where we look at two poles and then the two circles or the infinity sign where we move between, often if we think of our political structure, we do this pendulum swing, extreme right, extreme left, and the correction ends up being we miss some of the virtuous stuff and we end up spending a lot of time in the downside. And so part of the gift of this framework is it allows us to avoid the whiplash maneuver and the overcorrecting and overemphasizing time on the negative part. And so we don't talk about politics, but in this case right now, we are looking at several different 
events that are happening across the globe. So at this point, then, let's look at the polarity of populism versus globalism and how we're seeing in the U.S., we're seeing in Germany, we're seeing with the U.K. leaving the EU, we're seeing Catalonia try to withdraw from Spain as only a few, and we are seeing them other places on the planet as well. So can you walk us through on a polarity map what that looks like and things that we as leaders might be able to leverage from that walkthrough. This polarity is some version of what I call the part-whole polarity, where you're talking about a part of the system, and the part could be like uh, Catalonia within Spain, or it could be the UK within the European Union, or it could be the United States within the United Nations. But when you're focusing on the part, of part-whole polarity, what parts want is the freedom to express their uniqueness and to take initiative without having to check with the whole. Those who are advocating for the whole, they want to balance that freedom off with some uh, kind of equality between these parts, make sure they're being treated equally. The uniqueness of each part, the uniqueness of the UK, for example, within the European Union, that uniqueness, you want to balance off with some kind of connectedness. How are we all connected within the European Union? And then the initiative for a part, the initiative for the UK, for example, to take initiative without having to check with the European Union, there's a natural tension there between the European Union, which was designed as a way to create some synergy among all the countries in the European Union. So there's a natural tension between those two, and it shows up within the organization between different departments and, and the organization as a whole. That and we natural tension between, between these shows up at every level of system from within a small organization to uh, a country within the United Nations, for example. And so we would see that in a company when departments are competing, that marketing wants something and finance wants something else, or divisions, different P&L groups, where we made more profit this quarter and why are we carrying you? So Right, right. Or I was brought into a bank, a very large bank, and they wanted me to deal between two departments, which was sales and risk management. And sales is trying to get money you know, in the community to make money off the money, and risk management is trying to make sure it doesn't go down a rat hole. So they're, they're, they were both trying to save the bank from the other from the other department. And so there are these natural tensions. This part whole thing shows up even at, at the level of the family. So if you think of, of in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there's this story of Joseph, 12 brothers, give one brother a special coat and see what happens. I mean, he gets sold into slavery. This is what happens when you over-focus on a part and their uniqueness without paying attention to making sure there, there's some sort of equity between these parts. So also capitalism, socialism. Exactly. That's the macroeconomic struggle during the, during the whole Cold War was between, between socialism and capitalism, and that fight itself can be seen, to your point, as a polarity that needs leveraging rather than a problem to be solved. Yeah, and again, I try to avoid politics, but it's hard to miss that these polarities are playing out all over the place with healthcare and tax, not just in the U.S., but globally. Yes, absolutely. We're dealing with it more or less well. It's not that we, uh, that these polarities, the polarities have been in play all the time. And some, I think a democracy, for example, a well-functioning democracy is better suited to leveraging polarities than a dictatorship is, because the problem with a dictatorship is that, that the dictator, whether it's a dictator of a group or the dictator of an individual, what happens is the dictator, whatever poll the dictator prefers, those who stand up for the other poll, which is absolutely necessary, can be killed or disappear or whatever. So you end up creating an inability to oscillate back and forth between the two poles. Now, democracies have built-in mechanisms for self-correcting. It's called an election or an impeachment. So without having to cause a revolution, you can self-correct. You know, a democracy that's well-functioning can self-correct around key polarities that the, that the nation-state is dealing with. With democracies, if we are seeing these, again, as problems to be fixed, then we become entrenched on my guy or my woman needs to win and mm -hmm. beat you 
and keep your people and your policies more specifically at bay so we can save the country. And it seems like that's a lot of what's going on right now with this entrenched right and entrenched left, that we're not leveraging the oscillation. We're in fear, and and you talk about this, that there's a right and a wrong, and we're both convinced you call it a false choice. And to each side, we see it as obvious. Of course, you you should have voted for my person. And the opposing side thinks that I'm an idiot for seeing it differently. And it's often played out to that extreme rather than looking at the oscillation. So can you say more about this idea of false and obvious choices? Yes. For example, um, if you look at deregulation and regulation, Again, it's a part whole polarity. We, we need to deregulate as much as possible to support entrepreneurial initiative, and that's the capitalist side, if you will, entrepreneurial initiative, and uh, free people up to, to not be burdened by big government. But we also, though, we need to have enough regulations to protect the common good from abuse by those who might concentrate power in that process of, of the deregulation. So we can look at that that uh, at deregulation and regulation as, in fact, not an either-or issue, but how do we regulate enough to protect the common good and deregulate enough uh, to allow for entrepreneurial initiative? And that needs to be seen as a polarity, and, and the early warnings become very useful to let you know you've over-focused, you've deregulated too much, or you've regulated too much. The early warnings can help us address that effectively over time. So this is akin to the example you gave with the bank, where we've got risk and we've got investment, and both sides are important, yet if I'm in the bank and you're the enemy because you're doing the opposite thing, I'm, I'm moving into this false choice. Right. It becomes a false choice, and it becomes a vicious cycle. So the natural tension between the two groups can become a vicious cycle as we both complain about each other's downside, if you will. All the pointing becomes... I'm pointing at your downside, you're pointing at my downside, which is all true. And there is a downside mm-hmm. to each pole. But what that gets you caught in is a trap of just accusing each other and defining each other in terms of our downside. So what you need to do, if it's a polarity, is actually you need to somehow go after both upsides and point to them and say, how do we get the benefits of, if you will, regulation and the benefits of deregulation? That's a polarity question, rather than fighting over whether we're going to regulate or deregulate. So let's then talk about another one that that is, I think, fresh in the public discourse. And I want to use Germany as the example of refugees, because that that has happened over the last few years, and other countries are now facing it. What polarity is that, and how do you navigate the tension rather than making refugees the enemy? Yeah, well, I think within um, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Buchmann from Germany, who's done a lot of cross-cultural work, shared this at an earlier uh, workshop within the conference, um, and he defined the two poles as core culture for Germany and welcoming culture. And Germany, as a reaction to, you know, its, uh, its uh, tragic uh, era during the Third Reich, is as a culture, you know, they, they, they want to be extremely welcoming, uh, and they were at the when people first started coming as refugees, and they were so welcoming that they weren't actually being clear about their core culture and being clear about what was required in order to be functioning well within the German culture. And uh, they weren't even checking people who were arriving on the trains. And it became overwhelming. So they over-focused on being a welcoming culture to the neglect of holding on to their core culture. And what happens is then you get the downside of that, and you end up with a flip where they end up reaffirming their core culture and now blaming the, um, you know, the immigrants who were coming in, the refugees who were coming in, um, out of their fear of losing their core culture. So you can see that as a polarity, then again, you can be more intentional about both being welcoming and support your core culture. It doesn't have to be an either-or choice. So again, this is another illustration of virtuous cycle or the, the negative side of not paying enough attention to the early warning signs and getting into the vicious cycle. Yes, it's a great example. And it's happening at a lot of places that you mentioned, Mike. So now let's move into wrapping up, Barry. Can you give us, you have an assessment on your website, you have a book coming out, 
and you have contact information. So for listeners who have heard something that they would find valuable, and there's so much more, we could do hours more of conversations with Barry to talk about vertical development and other topics and how polarities support all of this i really do encourage people to dive more into his work so why don't you give us the quick two-minute rundown of how to reach you well it's, it's very simple if you just go to www.polaritypartnerships.com so that's p-o-l-a-r-i-t-y and then partnership it's all one word p-a-r-t-n-e-r-s-h-i-p-s www.polaritypartnerships.com and uh, the access to my book is uh, is there and access to our assessment. We think that have, being able to assess polarity is very helpful in terms of an ongoing leveraging them. You need to assess, well, how well are we doing and how might we self-correct over time? So that's where we think it's, it's useful. And since it's web-based, it could uh, work at any level of system globally if, uh, if that were desired, for example, by a multinational or a city could use it. Example. Great. So I can go out on your site and get a hold of it. Yes, you can. And your new book, when is that coming out? Well, it's going to come out next year, but you can get it now. The arrangement is that we've got the people are going on our site, and you can you can buy the book and get the, the first twenty two chapters are already written, so they become available as a virtual copy. We'll send them to you, uh, you know, through the internet, and as the other chapters are being completed, you get those as well, and then when the book is finally printed, which will be sometime next year, you get a, an autographed copy of the printed copy of the book as well. So, we're experimenting with that. People seem to be responding well to it, so you can get, you know, the chapters that are available right now and the book when it comes out. So, that's wonderful. I can be in the in the know. Right. Cool. Barry, thank you very much. Anything you want to say in closing? Well, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share polarity uh, thinking with others and just appreciate the opportunity and the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barry. And hopefully we will extend this conversation into other topics in the near future. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us live in Brussels at the International Leadership Association Conference. In these turbulent times, investing time and energy to refresh and evolve your leadership skills becomes a critical success driver. I challenge each of us to consider the impact effective leadership makes on our lives and on the lives of the organizations we lead and the people that those organizations impact. Imagine what each of us can do as we work together to solve these big problems that impact us, together we can create a world that is more peaceful, more just, and creates more opportunities for everyone to thrive. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.